0: Chapter six of Darnley by g p r james. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six thrice had I loved thee before I knew thy face or name. So in a voice, so in a shapeless flame, angels affect us oft and worshipped be. Done. The place to which Sir Osborne Maurice was conveyed, when the servants, according to their master's commands, removed him from the book-room, was a large dark chamber running along beneath the whole extent of the principal staircase and some way into one of the towers beyond the old manor house which for many reasons sir payan still inhabited even after dispossessing lord fitzbernard of Chilham castle although built of brick in a more modern style than the ancient holds of the feudal nobility had not entirely abandoned the castellated architecture formerly in use here and there upon the long front of the building was fastened a large square tower useless as a defence and inconvenient as a dwelling and at every angle appeared imposthume like watch-turret of redder brick than the rest like carbuncles upon the face of a drunkard the curse of small windows also was upon the house making it look as sombre without as it was dark within and the thick leafless wood that swept round it on both sides excluded great part of that light which might otherwise have found its way into the gloomy mansion darker than the rest was the chamber to which sir osborne morris was conveyed the whole of that part which was under the staircase receiving no light whatever except from the other half that placed in one of the square towers possessed the privilege of an unglazed window near the ceiling it would be difficult to say for what purpose this chamber was originally contrived but it is probable that at the time the house was built, during the contentions of York and Lancaster, such rooms might be necessary even in private houses, both as places of strength and concealment, although too weak to resist long attack and too easy of discovery to afford any very secure lurking-place. The use to which Sir Payan Wileton applied it was in general that of a prison for deer-stealers and other offenders who came before him in his magisterial capacity which offenders he took care should ever be as numerous as there were persons of the lower orders who opposed or displeased him. The men who conducted the young knight shut the door immediately upon him, and thus being left to ruminate over his fate, with his arms still tightly pinioned behind him, and scarcely light sufficient to distinguish any objects which the room contained, it may well be conceived that his meditations were not of the most pleasant description. But nevertheless, Indignation had roused his spirit, and he no longer felt that depression of mind and abandonment of hope, which for a time had overpowered him. His first thoughts, therefore, were now of escape and revenge, but for the moment no means presented themselves of either, and though he searched round the apartment, ascertaining the nature and extent of his prison, which only consisted of that room, and a large closet containing some straw, no chance whatever of flight from thence presented itself and he was obliged to wait in hopes of circumstances proving his friend. In about half an hour, the voice of Sir Payam Walton was heard without, giving various orders, and a moment after the trampling of horses sounded as if passing by the window. To Sir Osborne, accustomed for several years to watch with warlike acuteness every motion of a shrewd and active enemy, these sounds gave notice that his persecutor was gone for the time. "'and even the circumstance of his absence "'excited in the bosom of the young knight "'fresh expectation of some favourable opportunity. "'Hardly had Sir Payan departed when the lock, "'which might well have fastened the door "'of an antediluvian giant, "'squeaked harshly with the key, "'and the tall fellow, whom we have denominated hitherto, "'and shall still continue to denominate, Longpole, "'entered and pushed the door behind him. "'The devil's gone out on horseback,' said he, coming near Sir Osborne, and speaking low, "'and I have just got a minute to thank your worship.' "'To thank me, my friend,' said Sir Osborne, somewhat doubting the man's meaning. "'For what should you thank me?' "'For throwing the man over a hedge that struck my father,' said Longpole. "'And by that I see you are a true heart, and a gentleman, and a knight into the bargain, I am sure, in spite of all Sir Payan's tales, and his minion's false swearing.' And if I were not his sworn servant, I'd let you off this minute, if I could find a way. But is it not much worse to aid in so black a plot as this, than to leave this vile suborner, who is not your born master, and never can be lawfully, if you be the son of old Richard Hartley? Only hear me.' "'Nay, sir knight,' said Longpole, "'faith, I must not hear you, for I must mind my oath, and do as I am bid, though it be the devil bids me.' i only came to thank you before i brought the other prisoner here and to tell you that though i have forgotten and forgiven many hard knocks i never forgot a good turn and that you'll find whatever you may think now every dog has his day but the dog days don't last all the year after this quaint hint he waited for no reply but quitted the room as fast as possible and in a moment after returned pushing in the unfortunate Jekin groby almost drowned in his own tears. "'Here I've brought your worship a great baby,' cried Longpole, before he closed the door, "'who has wasted as much salt-water in five minutes as would have pickled a side of bacon.' As soon as they were alone, Sir Osborne attempted to comfort the unhappy clothier as far as he could, assuring him that he had nothing to fear, for that he was not, in the least, the object of the attack, which had only comprised him on account of his being present at the time." but my bags my bags blubbered Jekin groby they've got my bags four hundred and twelve golden angels and a pair of excellent shears oh oh, oh. i know it's along of you that i've got into this scrape oh dear oh dear why the devil didn't you tell me you have made the cornish men revolt then i wouldn't have gone with you i'd have seen you hanged first but i'll tell king henry and lord darby i will and i'll have back my angels i will lord lord to think of my being committed for aiding and abetting osborne Morris, alias osborne darling alias jenkins alias thompson alias brown alias smith to make the cornish folk revolt i that was never there in my life nor i either said the knight calmly why they all swear you were cried Jekin groby leaving off weeping and that you and five hundred miners burnt and sacked the towns and i believe carried away the steeples on your backs for the matter of that you did so much they all swear it and they all swear falsely answered sir osborne as you may very well see when they swear that you were there aiding and abetting me "'Gads, that's true, too,' said Groby. "'If they swear such big lies about me, why may they do the like about you? "'I thought that nice young lady, and that goodly old priest, "'would not have been so fond of your worship "'if you had been a robber and an insurrectionist. "'Lords a mercy, I beg your worship's pardon with all my heart.' "'As Groby lost sight of the subject of his bags, his grief abated, "'and looking round the room, he added, "'I say, Sir Knight, is there no way of getting out of this place?' "'What think ye of that window?' "'If I had my hands free,' said Sir Osborne, "'I would try to climb up and see.' "'Gads, man, let's see your hands,' said Groby. "'Mine are tied, too, but I've managed many a tight knot with my teeth. "'Turn round, your worship, more to the light. "'Such as it is. "'Ah, here I have it, the leading cord. "'Now pull. "'Well done, Millstones, it gives.' and what by dint of gnawing and pulling in about five minutes jekin groby contrived to loosen the cord that fastened the knight's arms and a very slight effort on sir osborne's part finished the work and freed them completely the knight then performed the same good office to his fellow prisoner and poor jekin overjoyed even at this partial liberation jumped and sang with delight hist hist cried he at length if i remember that long rascal of a fellow did not lock the door let us see. No, as I live, the bolt's not shot. Let us steal out. But first I'll look through the keyhole. Out upon it, there he sits, talking to two of his fellows. Aye, and there's a latch, too, on the outside of this cursed door, with no way to lift it on the inn. The window is the surest way, said the knight, if I can but reach it. Lend me your back, good Master Groby, and I will see.' The sun shines strong through it, and yet I cannot perceive that it throws the shadow of any bar or grating. "'Welcome to my back,' said the clothier. "'But, oh, do not leave me in this place. Pray, don't ye, Sir Knight?' "'On my honour, I will not,' replied the knight. "'Though it is not you they care to keep. Once I were away, you might have your liberty the next hour. But still I will not leave you.' "'Thank you, Sir Knight, thank you,' said Honest Jekin all i ask is when you are up help me up too and if we can get out leave me as soon as you like for the less we are together i take it the better for jekin groby and now upon my back it is a stout one jekin now bent his head against the wall making a kind of step with his two clasped hands by means of which sir osborne easily got his elbows on the deep opening of the window which from the thickness of the wall offered a platform three feet wide and with an effort he swung himself up clear all clear cried he joyfully and now my good jekin let us see how we can get you up stay let me kneel here and turning round he knelt down holding out his hands to jekin groby but it was in vain that sir osborne with all his vast strength strove to pull up the ponderous body of the kentish clovia he succeeded indeed in raising him about a foot from the ground and holding him there while he made a variety of kicks against the wall, and sundry other efforts to help himself up, all equally ineffectual. But at length Sir Osborne was obliged to let him down, and still remained gazing upon him with a sorrowful countenance, feeling both the impossibility, with any degree of honour, to leave him behind, and the impracticability of getting him out poor jekin well understanding the knight's feeling returned his glance with one equally melancholy and after remaining for a moment in profound silence he made a vast effort of generosity that again unloosed the floodgates of his tears in the midst of which he blubbered forth go sir knight go and god speed to you heaven forbid that i should keep you here go sir osborne jumped down and shook him by the hand never said he never but there seems still some hope for us "'That tall fellow that we called Longpole this morning "'is more friendly to us than he seems, "'and I can tell him something "'that will perhaps make him serve us more completely, "'if he will but hear me. "'Let me see whether he is now alone.' "'And by the same means that Jeeking Groby "'had before used to ascertain that the man was there, "'Sir Osborne discovered that the two other servants "'had left him, and that he was alone.' "'Hist! Richard Hartley!' said sir osborne putting his mouth to the keyhole hist who calls cried longpole starting up tis i said sir osborne open the door and speak to me i dare not i must not cried longpole have patience he whispered have patience i will come to you after dark yet listen to me said sir osborne but at that moment a sound of horses feet was again heard through the open window and unwillingly he was obliged to desist the arrival of some guest now took place as sir osborne judged by the sounds which made themselves heard the inquiries for sir payan the directions for tending the horses and the orders to have them at the gate in an hour the marshalling to the banquet hall the cries of the serving-men and all the fracas that was made in that day in honour of a visitor by heaven said sir Osborne it is lady constance de gray i remember she proposed coming here towards noon if we could but let her know that we are here oh good old dr wilbraham her people would soon free us but never does it fall better longpole has gone from his watch or he might tell her however the door is only held by this latch let us try to force it place your shoulder with mine good groby now a strong effort but in vain the giant door stood unmoved and sir osborne was obliged to resign himself to his fate presently the noise of serving the repast in the chief hall died away and the servants retiring to their own part of the house left the rest in quiet while not a sound stirred to communicate to the bosoms of the prisoners any sensation either of hope or expectation after about a quarter of an hour's pause, however, a door opened, and the voice of Lady Constance was heard speaking to Dr. Wilbraham. Nay, my good father, she said, do not go yourself to seek them. Though we have been treated with but little courtesy, yet we may stay a quarter of an hour longer. Perhaps the servants have not dined, and that is the reason they do not come. By your leave, lady, I will go, said the chaplain, and will see that the horses be brought up for to my poor mind we have stayed here too long already for the civility we have received i will not be long dr wilbraham cried sir osborne as the door shut dr wilbraham but the good tutor turned another way and passed on without hearing the voice of his former pupil and silence resumed her dominion over the part of the house in which they were placed in a minute or two after however a heavy foot announced to the watchful ears of the young knight the approach of some other person and he turned away towards the hall where lady constance had been left and seemed to enter shortly the voice of the lady made itself heard speaking high and angrily in a tone to which the lips of constance de grey seldom gave utterance i do not understand what you mean sir said she coming out of the hall where are my servants where is dr wilbraham that was not your way my pretty lady said the voice of the portingal captain let me kiss your loafly hand and i will show you the way stand off sir exclaimed lady constance dare you insult me in my cousin's house this way this way lady constance de grey cried sir osborne in a voice that shook the hall this way there are friends throw up the latch At that moment the unscrupulous portingal seemed to have offered some still greater insult to the young lady, for with a scream she darted towards the spot to which the voice of Sir Osborne directed her, and throwing up the latch, as he called her to do, ran in, followed closely by the portingal. Urged by fear, Lady Constance flew directly to the knight, and, recognizing a friend, clung to him for protection. The captain, not observing that his hands were freed, did not scruple to pursue her, even close to the side of the prisoner calling to her not to be afraid that he would show her the way but sir osborne raised his arm and in a moment laid the portingal grovelling on the ground with the blood gushing from his mouth and nostrils lady constance still clung to the knight who totally forgetting the possibility of escape endeavoured to soothe her and calm her agitation not so Jekin groby after pausing for a moment confounded by the whole business he at length bethought him that as the door was open he might as well walk out, and with this intent made a quick step or two towards it. His purpose, however, was defeated by the portingal, who recovered from the blow, and perceiving the design of the clothier, started upon his feet, and, jumping through the open door, banged it in the face of honest Jeeking, at the same time making the whole house ring with his cries of, "'Help!' help the lady is letting out the prisoners and they shall all get loose help help and getting hold of the rope of the alarm he rang such a peal as soon brought the whole household together with the servants of lady constance round the door of the strong-room various were now the cries and exclamations what's the matter are they out which way did they go where's the lady oh lord oh Lord! oh dear Dear me! How strange! Who'd have thought it? While the portingal, with his face all streaming with blood, explained to them that Lady Constance wished to let the prisoners out, and that he, notwithstanding their efforts, had shut them up altogether by the valour of his invincible arm, and he called his bloody muzzle to bear testimony to the truth of his asseveration. You lie, you vagabond thief! cried one of the young lady's servants it was you stole my riding-whip when you ran away in such a hurry from the inn last night you make a great mistake my friend said dr wilbraham who had come up amongst the rest lady constance de grey has too much respect for the law to assist any prisoners to escape from the house of a magistrate let me in here and we shall soon hear the truth of all this and let me in and let me in and let me in cried a dozen voices and all prepared to rush into the room the moment any one raised the latch, on which Longpole had his hand for the purpose. "'Devil or one of you!' cried Longpole. "'Curiosity, I've heard say, was one of the great vices of the old gentlewomen of Babylon, and so certainly I shall not gratify yours. "'March, every one, for his worship, when he went away, gave me charge of the prisoners, and I am to answer for them when he comes back. The only one who goes with me shall be his reverence, who, God bless him, taught me to read and write, and speak French, when I was little Dick Hartley, the porter's son at the old castle. "'And art thou little Dick Hartley?' exclaimed Dr. Wilbraham. "'We are both changed, Dick. But open me the door, good Dick. For by that Portingalo's speech I fancy the young lady is here also with the prisoners, though I conceive not how.' Hartley accordingly opened the door sufficiently to allow the clergyman to pass and then following he shut it taking care to put his dagger under the latch to prevent its obstructing his exit in case of the servants leaving the spot during his stay at first the change from a bright light to comparative obscurity prevented the good tutor from distinguishing clearly the objects in the apartment to which he was admitted by longpole but who can express his astonishment when he beheld sir osborne forgetting lady constance and every other circumstance he clasped his hands in a sort of agony good god exclaimed he is it possible you here you my lord in the power of your bitterest enemy oh osborne osborne what can be done to save you and is it you cried he raising his voice and turning to longpole in a tone of bitter reproach and is it you richard hartley "'that do the work of jailer upon your own born lord and only lawful master?' "'My born lord!' cried Hartley, springing forward. "'What does your reverence mean? Who is he? "'They told me his name was Morris, Osborne Morris.' "'Osborne Darnley, they should have said,' replied the young knight. "'Your old lord's son, Dick Hartley.' "'Hartley threw himself at his lord's feet. "'Why did not you tell me?' cried he i'd sooner have chopped my hand off i that first taught you to draw a bow and level an arrow i that sought you all through the camp at Touraine, to be your servant and servitor as in duty bound only that you were away guarding the fort bridge on the Lambre. cut my hand off i'd rather have ripped myself up with my dagger it may be supposed that the surprise of lady constance and of jekin was somewhat analogous to that expressed by Longpole on finding that the person they had known only as Osborne Morris, or at best as Sir Osborne Morris, an adventurous soldier whose necessitous courage had obtained for him the honour of knighthood, was in fact the young Lord Darnley, whose misfortunes and accomplishments had already furnished much employment for the busy tongue of fame. To the young lady especially, this discovery gave a sensation of timid shame for the interest she had so unguardedly displayed in his fate, an interest which, nevertheless, she might perhaps feel heightened when she found all that she had heard of Lord Darnley identified with all that she knew of Osborne Morris. "'I, too, may ask, my lord,' she said, "'why you did not tell me, or rather, why you did not tell my father, whoever expressed the deepest interest in your fate and in his lifetime might have served you?' your noble father lady replied lord darnley was well aware who i was even when i was a guest at his mansion and he as well as the rest of my friends thought it best that i should still conceal my name while in england in order to veil me from the machinations of a man whose unaccountable interest at court and unscrupulous nature were almost certain to carry through whatever villainous attempt he undertook against me our lands and lordships he holds not as we did by chivalry and tenure of possession but only as steward of dover castle an office given and recalled at pleasure you now see how wise was the precaution since here in the midst of the most civilized country in europe i have been unlawfully seized on the king's highway accused of fictitious crimes and destined to a fate that only time will show to think that i a man-at-arms long used to camps and without boasting no bad soldier either should be like an infant in the hands of this deep-plotting usurper tis enough to drive me mad no no my lord said hartley or as we have called him longpole don't you fear they say that when old nick stirs the fire he is sure to burn his fingers and when he salts a birch broom he pickles a rod for his own back but stay let me see that there is no one at the door listening no there they are at the farther end of the hall but they can't hear so my lord i'll undertake to get you out this blessed night my oath to sir paen is up at twelve o'clock to-night no oath can bind you to commit a crime said the clergyman and that it is a crime to aid in any way in detaining your lord here can easily be proved oh your worship said hartley i can't reason the matter with your reverence you'd pose me in a minute but nevertheless i'll keep my oath and i can give you a good reason for it it would do my lord no good if i was to break it there are twenty people round who would all join to stop him if i were to let him out this moment and with my young lady's three servants to boot we should still be beaten by the numbers we must wait till after dark ay and till after the bell rings to bed at eleven and then i will find means to free my lord but may they not thus have time to commit some evil deed demanded lady constance and your tidy succor may come too late no no my lady replied longpole i heard yon portingallo who was just riding away tell his rascally slavish crew as he was locking them in the granary that at half-past one he was to be back and then they were to carry down the two prisoners to the ship for which they were to have two hundred gold angels amongst them now we shall be far enough before half-past one at all events my lord said lady constance it will not be long before we are at canterbury from whence we can send you sufficient succour backed with authority competent to procure your release but remember lady said the knight that i am but sir osborne maurice and no one must know me as anything else if it can be avoided for it is of the utmost consequence to my interest that at present i should not appear before our noble but somewhat wayward king as i really am and now let me return you a thousand and a thousand thanks for your kind interest past and present to which but add one favour when i am free give me but one little glove from this fair hand and he raised it to his lips and i will place it on my pennon's pike and write underneath it gratitude and if it fall in the listed field, or the battle plain, Darnley is dead. "'Nay, nay, my lord,' replied Lady Constance, with a blush and smile, "'too gallant by half. But you are a prisoner, and I believe promises made in prison are not held valid. Wait, therefore, till you are free, and in the meantime you shall have my prayers and best wishes, and such aid as I can send you from Canterbury I will.' there is a witchery in the sympathy of a beautiful woman whose influence all men must have experienced and all women understand and though our hero felt the most devout conviction that he was not the least in love in the world with lady constance de grey there is no knowing how far his gratitude for the interest she took in his fate might have carried him had she remained there much longer and even when she left him and he heard the horse's feet repass the window of his prison he felt as if he were ten times more a prisoner than before there was something so kind and so gentle in her manner and her smile illuminated her countenance with such angelic light that while she was there even though speaking of them his sorrows and his dangers seemed all forgot she was so young and so beautiful too and there was in her look and her gesture and her tone so much of that undefiled simplicity which we love to suppose in a higher nature of beings that the young knight as an admirer of everything that is excellent might well make the fair creature that had just left him the theme of his thoughts long after she was gone and in such dreams absorbed he paced up and down the strong-room finding out that loss of rank and fortune was a much greater misfortune than ever till then he had deemed it at the same time that lady constance departed our friend longpole also left the prisoners promising however to see them from time to time during the day and to find means of liberating them at night. In this arrangement, Jekin Groby took care to be specially included, and trusting implicitly to the promises of Dick Hartley on the score of his freedom, his only farther consideration was concerning his bags. "'Don't you think, my lord,' said he, after waiting a moment or two, in order to see whether Lord Darnley would finish his meditative perambulations, "'Don't you think King Harry will make this Sir Payan, or Sir Pagan, as they ought to call him, refund my angels?' "'Hey, my lord!' "'If there be justice in the land,' replied Darnley, "'but mark me, good g you call me my lord. You have heard me say that it may be of the utmost detriment to my interest if I be known as Lord Darnley. Circumstances have put you in possession of my secret, but if you would pleasure me, if you would not injure me—' Forget from this moment that I am any other than Sir Osborne Morris. Call me by no other title. Think of me under no other name. No, indeed, my lord, said Jekin. I promise your lordship never to call you my lord again. I won't indeed, my lord. Lord, there, only see me, my lord. I have called you my lord again. Well, it does come so natural to one, when one knows that you are my lord, to call you my lord. What a fool I am. But your lordship will forgive me and so i'll go and sleep in that straw in the closet and forget it all for i shan't get my natural rest to-night that's clear so saying jekin nestled himself in the straw which had attracted his attention and shutting the door to exclude all light he was soon buried in a profound sleep while sir osborne which according to his wish we shall not cease to call him continued his meditations walking up and down as if on guard at some dangerous post End of chapter six.